you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Word? Yeah. Um, Brad and Evie. There they are. Come on. Come on. Welcome them as they come. Can I have the other microphone? Yeah, I like to throw that. Um, some of you guys may or you, maybe you don't know uh, Brad and Evie Servick. They have had an unbelievably strange beginning of their marriage, if you know anything about their story. Um, I'm going to let them share just a few minutes of that, and then uh, today's their last Sunday. It's like their second Sunday here together in a long time, um, in about a year and a half. And they're about to head uh, on a new reassignment, and so I'll let them explain that. But I want them to, you to hear their story a bit, because God's been faithful, and we need to testify to God's faithfulness. And then we're going to pray for you guys, all right, because we love you, and we want to see you blessed. Good morning. So, um, yeah, our, the beginning of our marriage was I lived in Japan for six months, came back, we got married, and then I left back to Japan again. Because what? Um, well, because I'm in the Marine Corps, so I was stationed over there. I was stationed over there for about two years. I just got done with that, so I came back at the beginning of June. Thank God that, you know, it's over because I'm done going back and forth. Um, so, yeah, we, we started off just dating right before I left, about five, minute, five months before I left the Marine Corps. Um, we started dating, and then I just joined, and... It's just been back and forth, back and forth. So now we finally, after three years, actually get to live together and be together and actually have the married life. <laughs> so, you know, she don't want to talk. <laughs> She's if, too shy. What if I ask you a question? Like, this is a terrible question to ask. What was it like being married with your husband so far away for so long? It Tell was us. hard, yeah. um, but by the support of my family and just coming to church faithfully, that helped a lot. Um, yeah, that was so right, here's staying a bi- busy. Work. Here's a bigger question. You're kind of used to being married, but on your own with your family and your church, but now you're going to be married with a husband. <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to be a harder job to adjust to. How's yeah, that going? It's, it's been okay. It's been okay. <laughs> Justine, but yeah. it's a working process, so. <laughs> he's like, she is. I'm just happy, he says. Right, good. Yeah. We understand these are major adjustments, <clears throat> and getting married and being so patient and building your relationship so far apart, and now you're married and be together, um, they're different. They're changes, and I think we recognize that. Anybody who's married recognizes that, and so, uh, but we're proud of you guys, and we're so happy for you. Um, what's your next moment? What's your next trip season um, phase trip. so i'll actually so i've done three years i'm re-upping so i'll be doing four more after my first four and we're gonna be we're moving to virginia today actually um so we're driving there right out. we'll go to church well you're at church buddy yeah it's been a long day uh 
So from here, we'll go to her parents' house and, you know, stay there for a couple hours just to say bye and then uh, start the journey over to Virginia. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, let me, let me pray for you. Maybe if one of you two, anybody else wants to come up and just pray briefly for them, you're welcome to come. Heavenly Father, we're very grateful for just your faithfulness and your goodness. God, in so many ways, in so many places in this church, but as we see, Lord, how you've been faithful in this young couple, God, we bless them. God, with, with our own lips and our own hearts, we bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we commit them to you. God, in this new season, we ask you to cause their marriage, their love together, their life together to flourish. <clears throat> we ask it, God, to just grow upon grow upon grow. And Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would protect them because every season has new dangers just as it is new joys. And so watch over them and guard them. God, what you have bound together here, God, we pray that you just continue to tighten. That, Lord, they would be perfectly molded and fit for one another. When one is strong, let the other celebrate. When one is weak, let the other come and strengthen them. But God, we know that you're faithful in all these things. So bless them, watch over them, protect them. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Welcome. God bless. All right. Honor them as they... So this morning, I'm going to continue what I started a couple weeks ago, and I started talking about the cross, the wonders, and the folly of the cross of Jesus Christ. You guys remember the scripture we read from in 1 Corinthians? I'll read it for you again, because only half of you have committed it to memory. You should commit it to memory. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18. You can turn in your Bibles. Before we do, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts so that we might not only hear but obey his word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the God who does wonder upon wonder. The Lord, when we think in our own minds or our own strength what's impossible, still nothing is impossible with you. God, that you take our, our pains, our loneliness, all of the challenges we face in life, and you speak hope, you speak life, you speak victory to us. Thank you for that, God. And Lord, today, as we go through your word, help us to understand, Lord, that the cross is this great place of victory, where it seemed like all was lost, where it seemed like you had been defeated. In fact, you had accomplished the great wonders of heaven that you had overcome and defeated sin and death and Satan himself. God, I pray, cause that revelation to explode in our hearts today. Even as we need the cross in this very moment, I pray, God, that you would bring us to it. In your name we ask. Amen. So, you remember the quote from St. Um, Brendan of Burr, the Irish monk? Not to be confused with St. 
Brendan, the Voyager, remember those two guys? If you come to Christ, if you become Christ's, you will stumble upon wonder upon wonder, and every one of them is true. The journey we have following Jesus is about sometimes stumbling upon these wonders, wonders that we didn't see coming, wonders that maybe we wouldn't have chosen because they come through suffering or they come through some way in which we didn't foresee. And yet still, if you become Christ, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, if you are his, you will find wonder upon wonder. He quotes that from Isaiah, which is embedded in the scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.18. I'll read it to you. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the what? Power of God. For it is written, Isaiah 29, he's quoting, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And so Paul is saying, look, what many thought was foolishness, that Jesus himself would die at the end of his ministry, it would seem like the end of his ministry, that he would be defeated by the Romans and by the Jews, and he would be set upon a cross, and there he would die publicly, painfully, in humiliation. But Paul is saying, no, what no one understood was that the cross was the place where the power of God would be poured out upon the earth. That somehow, on that tool of execution, this incredible symbol of death, humiliation, wasn't even mentioned in polite company. The Jews thought anyone on a cross was cursed. That this would be the place where God would pour out his wonder upon wonder. Isn't that something? Your encounter with the cross of Christ is is central to you understanding the power of God in your life. Your encounter with the cross, I would say, is essential to everything God wants to do in your life. But you can't go on in resurrection life until you've journeyed to the cross. That until there is, like Jesus himself experienced, death to self, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Some of us live a long time in the Garden of Gethsemane where we're faced with laying down our life, giving everything for God's purpose. And you're still there sweating blood, saying, Lord, I don't know. Is there a way? Is there a way for this cup to pass for me? I'd rather not do it, Lord. I'd rather continue on with my life as I'd like to have it. And still the cross beckons. And you're there maybe for years, maybe for decades in the Garden of Gethsemane, battling this battle with God until finally, finally, someday, maybe today, you're willing to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Have you come to that place in your heart? Lord, not my will. Because if you do, it'll take you to the cross. And it'll take you to the place where the power of God comes into your life. The cross, this cross, it's a perpetual invitation to come to God. Don't be fooled by your 30 years in the faith. Don't be fooled by just the commercialization of so many Christian things. Don't be fooled by those who will tell you, come and Jesus' life will just make yours better. 
No. The invitation of the cross, the perpetual invitation of the cross is to come and lay everything at the feet of Jesus and say, not my way, but yours be done. It's an invitation today to us. I remember someone told me when I was a young man that the only problem with a living sacrifice, you know, Romans 12 says, live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You've given your life to the Lord, and there you are, this living sacrifice, and all of a sudden you start crawling off the altar, carrying on your own way, carrying on your old ways, carrying on some new ways that don't please the Lord. And so as a sacrifice before the Lord, you have to crawl back on that altar and say, here I am, I'm yours. I love it when we sing songs about come to the altar and people actually come. We don't have to physically come to an altar. We know that. Our hearts are laid on the altar before God, right? You can come to an altar and give away nothing. You can stay in your seat and pour out everything to God. But I love it when we say come to the altar and people come. And they actually do business with God and say, Lord, I give you that. You know what? I've been doing this in my own strength. Lord, I, I've been trapped in sin. Or just simply, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all yours all over again. The living sacrifice must stay on the altar. It's a perpetual invitation to come. It's, it says, come as you are. It says, come and experience more. Have you had enough of boring Christianity that costs you nothing? The cross says to you, come and experience more. Lay more, lay all at the altar, and God will transform you. It says one degree of glory to the next degree of glory to the next degree of glory. I find that as you live the Christian life, it's just like another layer of death, another layer of death, another layer of death to self and selfishness and my way of thinking and my way of doing things. The cross has come and continue to lay different layers of your life, death upon death, so that you might be fully dead to self and fully alive to God. Maybe God's working that in you right now. That it's hard, you're frustrated, you're discouraged, you find just a drain of emotional energy in your life, and simply the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm calling you to another layer of death to self. The cross is this perpetual invitation to come to God as you are to experience more, to follow Christ. I want to talk to you about the cross as described in the Bible because the cross is a wonder. The cross is a wonder. I like that phrase. I, I, do you ever speak like that to people? Hey, that person, they're just, they're a wonder. I, I never used that term before. It's kind of, I'm a Midwestern guy, so we don't talk like that. But my wife would use that all the time. You do something really nice, she'd say, oh, you're a wonder. I'd be like, yeah. I'm one of the seven wonders of the world, baby. Bring it. <laughs> one of the seven natural wonders of the world. But we don't, we don't, I don't talk like that in my normal Midwestern vocabulary. But I love the phraseology. The cross is a wonder. It is in itself wonderful. It's not just a decoration, it's not just a symbol, but there is power and there is wonder in the cross. And I'm going to lay out four wonders for you today about the cross. The first one is this. The cross is a wonder because it is there that we find the forgiveness of sin. 
I, I don't want to overstate the obvious, but this can never be overstated. That the cross is the place where all of our sin was paid for. Past, present, and future. And so if you're a Christian here today, or if you need to become a Christian here today, your whole life must be clinging to that cross because that is the place where God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so God's wrath will not be poured out on you. The cross is a wonder because all of our sin, the sin that others know about, the sin that nobody knows about, was laid upon Jesus. Our sufficient sacrifice. I love how the book of Hebrews describes it. If you look at Hebrews 10, verse 11 through 14, I didn't give John the scriptures ahead of time, so he's up there scrambling. I'm sure he'll get it up on the wall for you. But Hebrews 10, 11 says this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He's talking about the Old Testament or even into the, you know, time of Christ. The, the Jewish priests, they, they would go and they would perform these sacrifices of animals and they'd bring it to the altar and they would do it every day. The Levites were constantly sacrificing animals on behalf of the people. It's the idea of the scapegoat, that the people of Israel knew they would sin, they would bring a sacrifice, the sin would be laid on that sacrifice and the sacrifice would be burned as an offering to God. But they were sacrificing animals. And this is the reference here in Hebrews 10. It says, day after day, every priest, they would stand and they would perform their duties again and again. They would offer these sacrifices every day, all day, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made a footstool for by one sacrifice, hear this, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh, and it's contrasting. All this human effort, all this system, and God gave him the system, and it was sufficient for like, you know, satisfying God's wrath for a moment, deflecting it until the one sacrifice would come. Listen, there's a lot of human effort that goes into wanting to create some sort of penance. I've sinned, therefore I have to do this, or I have to do that, and I have to do that because I sinned. I'm trying to compensate, trying to make up for it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try to make things right that you make wrong. You should do that. But here's the thing. Any human effort to make things right does not remove the sin. You're still guilty of the sin. But it says when this priest, Jesus himself, made one sacrifice for all time, his own body, he made perfect forever. I put that in bold in my notes. He made perfect forever. If you are in Christ, you've been made perfect forever. Congratulations. Forever. It's hard to believe. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews says, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's a very real sense in which Christ's completed work and our faith and our trust in him and our obedience to him coming and receiving his righteousness makes us perfect forever. That is a reality. And there's another sense in which 
we're being made holy. We're still a work in progress. And those two things together, our identity in perfection works to help us move forward in holiness. Because holiness simply means this, being set apart. That here you are as a part of the world, as a part of this system, and suddenly God comes into your life and you're like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm convicted. I need a Savior to forgive me of my sin. I see that God of all creation is calling me into his purposes. I want my life to matter on a level that's never mattered before. And so I want to follow Jesus. So the cross says I've been made perfect forever. But there is a faith obedience response to God's work in us that says, you know what? I want to set myself apart for God's special work. I want to be someone who's set apart special. I don't live my life like I used to live. That's the whole idea of holiness, to be set apart. That's the whole idea of being a saint or sanctified, is that they're not like every other sinner who just lives their life for themselves, that there is a different purpose, there is a different guide and rule in their life that says, no, I'm set apart to obey Jesus. And that's what my life has become defined as. A Christian's life is defined by I'm set apart to obey Jesus. It's like this. John, you got those shoes? I, I needed an illustration today, so I, I, I called up my friend CJ, and I said, CJ, what's your favorite pair of shoes? Can anybody identify these? Go ahead. Anybody know what they are? Uh, pardon me, I want specifics. I don't want you to tell me they're Nike. Everyone can see the swoosh. What are they? No, those are not little girl shoes. Those are CJ's shoes. Those are size 11. Those are size 11. They're, they're, Kobe. they're dedicated to Kobe, but they're not Kobe's. Paul George. Paul George, too. Dedicated, special to Kobe in Laker colors. And they got a little thing of Kobe. What's the phrase, Luke? Mambo? Yeah, it's those. Anyways, <clears throat> these are very special shoes. And if you know CJ, CJ's a very well put together guy. True story? So when CJ wears a pair of shoes, he takes them off. What does he do? He washes them. And then he puts the paper back around them and sets them in the box. Because he's not like a slob like the rest of you. Just wear your shoe and throw them in the closet. Because these shoes are only a week old for CJ, and his thing is, these are not everyday shoes. These are very special Paul George II Mambo Jumbo Kobe's. Did I say that wrong? I said it wrong. But the point is, these shoes are set apart because they're special. And so he keeps them clean. He separates them from the rest of the dirty floors and shoes. You can have work boots, you can have shoes that you wear in the dirt, but when it comes to being separated, he separates them. Anybody got a nice pair of shoes that they keep special? No? Some of you are like, yeah, I just wear shoes. It's a thing now, though. People like take care of their shoes like they don't before. They buy beautiful white shoes and they keep them separate and they keep them special. Listen, you're, you're like more precious to the Lord than those. And he says to you, separate yourself. Be holy. For the cross has forgiven you of your sin. But as Paul says in Romans 6, 
what should we say? Should we continue to sin? By no means. He says, no way should we continue to sin. He says, don't you know that those of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized, were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his what? Into his death. Thank you. If you've been baptized in Christ Jesus, you've been baptized into his death. And just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father, you too have been raised to new life. Listen, cling to the cross because it is your place where all your sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven and you have been made perfect forever. However, you've also been called to be holy and that's my second point. The cross is a wonder because it leads us away from sin. The cross is a wonder because it leads us away from sin. Right? So having come to the cross and having our sins forgiven, we remain at the cross because it teaches us to walk away from sin. Let me read a scripture I read a couple weeks ago to you. Just quickly in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Listen, that's true of all of us. Your body's a temple where God's Spirit, His very presence resides. And so sinning with your body is a violation to the presence of God's Holy Spirit in you. It's serious. It's not small. It's a big thing. Don't you know that? You are not your own, it says. You were bought with a price on the cross. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's very simple. You've been purchased by Christ on the cross, and therefore live as you are to be Christ's. That you are his treasured possession, as Exodus 19 says. And I think we talked about this a little bit before, but we have this thing as we try to live this out, of what it means to actually follow Christ and live for him and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We have this difficult relationship in our minds between our desires and our decisions, right? So we desire to please God. We desire to offer ourselves as living sacrifice, not to sin sexually or any other way. And yet, and so that's, we desire that, so we make certain decisions, right? I'm decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. Right? I have decided, oh, Baptist, sing with me, to follow Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you. You just bought me a minute to continue breathing. And yet we have these other desires that are at war with that decision. We decide to follow Jesus, and yet there are other desires whether they're sexual desires, like we see in 1 Corinthians 6, or <clears throat> whether they're desires of possessions, or desires of, of kind of respect and notoriety, or whatever our desires might be. I need this. And we have this kind of a seesaw balancing act between our desires. So here's a desire. What's your biggest desire? Well, I desire to be loved. I desire to be wealthy. I desire whatever. You desire this, and boom. Well, if that's a desire there, maybe that's a good desire, but maybe it's not a godly desire. Well, you got to say, well, does your decision to follow Jesus 
cause you to live in holiness, separated. Well, sure, I have a desire, but that desire doesn't control me. Just because I have a desire doesn't mean I need to express that desire or, or, or somehow satisfy that desire. You, you know, not satisfying a sinful desire is one of the most profound forms of worship a Christian person can have. Lord, I desire that. I desire that sexual activity. But you know what? I've made a decision to follow Jesus. No turning back. And therefore, I honor my decision, and I deny my desire, and guess what it's called? Worship. But what happens to the Christian is, we have a decision to follow Jesus, but we keep piling on sinful desires until it starts weighing out. Before you know it, right, here's a desire for sex. That's a big one for some. Or here's a desire for money. I got to get promoted. Here's a desire for respect, and so I got to make people think one thing. And then you just, all these little tiny desires, too. You just throw them in the pot. And your desire to follow Jesus, your conviction to follow Jesus, gets outweighed by your desires. Let me tell you what James says about your desires. James says this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. We have good desires and we have evil desires. But he's saying, listen, God is not not (laughs) tempting you, but your own desires tempt you. Your desires betray you. These things you think you want, these things you think you need, they are doing you in. And so each person is tempted, not by God, but by being dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So the desire itself is not even the sin. Your desire for sexual activity, that's not a sin. Every human being has a natural desire for sexual activity. Good for you. You're human. Well done. If you desire that, praise the Lord. You're a human being. It's giving in to improper desires that entices you. And when you give in to that desire, it births sin. The desire itself isn't bad. You might desire a lot of money. I do. I was tempted this week. I have a friend who owns a Porsche. Anybody have a friend that owns a Porsche? He came over. He visited me. We spent some time together, and we went to lunch. He's like, hey, why don't you drive it? I'm like, yeah, why don't I drive it? So I got in that Porsche. He's like, don't be afraid to drive it like it's supposed to be driven. I'm like, I'm not afraid. What? Right? If you saw me weaving in and out of traffic on 8094, you'd have probably arrested me. But I was like living the dream. Like from here to Panera Bread. My dream was a reality. And you know what? I have a desire for one of those. Have you ever turned a corner in a Porsche? It's almost like you're not turning. It's like the world just moves around you. It's so great. I have a desire. That might be my big desire. It's my new big desire, honey, for a Porsche. Forget the Ford Explorer. That's like every man's car. I need something to set me apart. But listen to me. That desire isn't sin. I'm just like, I love that. It's fun. It's great. It's cool. But if I act on a desire that doesn't place God's priorities first, listen, I have, I have bigger priorities. I have a conviction. I want to I tithe. I want to give to those in need. I want to support my family. 
I, I want to I be able to do things as a priority with my money that excludes me having the Porsche. Warren, I think you could fix that situation. We'll share it. And so you know what I do with that desire? I set that desire aside. And my conviction to follow Jesus, that my money is his, and I will only spend it on that which honors him, that's my spiritual act of worship. That's me blessing the Lord. I come here on a Sunday morning, I raise my hands. It's not because I I just, I mean, I love being together. I love the idea of us corporately singing and physically praising God together. I think there's something very powerful about that and biblical about it. But this here is simply an expression of my conviction to follow Jesus and God's faithfulness to bless me in it. It's the cross. I am committed to the cross, and the cross leads me away from sin. Because everything I do, everything in my life, every decision, or every desire, rather, every desire I have has to make its way through the cross. And there are some desires I have that can't pass through the cross. The cross says, no way. Set it aside. The cross says, hey, go for it. Back and forth. I'm going to put the Porsche here in faith. Nope, Porsche's got to go. Understanding the interaction between our desires and our decisions is critical for us being God's holy people. Lay your desires at the foot of the cross. Scripture says if you delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desire of your heart. You don't want anything that doesn't come through his hands anyways. The things you try to collect otherwise is kind of like, well, (laughs) I could just see some of you. Like, I bet I could slip a couple things in here that just is like close. It's like, you know, borderline around the middle. I'm not here. But no, it just needs to be like decisive. Stop playing games. Trying to satisfy your own desires. They'll entice you and they will give birth to sin. And sin, finishing the verse, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. The third thing is this. The cross is a wonder because it is a place of healing our body and healing our relationships. So the cross is a wonder because it's a place where our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. The cross is a wonder because it leads us away from sin. But get this, the cross is a wonder is because it is powerful to heal our bodies, hear me, and our relationships, our world. But let me just read you a couple of verses about healing of our bodies. Isaiah 53, clearly understood to be a prophetic, um, <clears throat> prophetic writing, speaking of Christ, speaking of the cross. It says this, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and By his wounds, we are healed. 
It's the wounding of Christ that brings about our wholeness. Some people feel like God doesn't do miraculous healing in our day. Maybe they believe that theologically because they're like, no, that's just something else, talking about spiritual healing or whatever, emotional healing. But I believe in the holistic work of God, that he does heal our spiritual dilemma. He does heal our emotional brokenness. And you know what? He heals our broken thinking, and he heals our broken bodies. The Scripture says that if you're sick in your body, come to the elders, they'll anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the man well, or the woman well, or the child well. Some of us don't believe in healing because you've prayed for healing before, and it hasn't happened. That's probably been the case for many people. That doesn't mean that the cross is not the place of physical healing. We continue to press in and seek the Lord and all these things. Our convictions of the cross is that here is where our bread is buttered. We'll do all the medical things right. There's something miraculous about medical science, discovering the wonders of the way God created us, that we've been created in such a way as to be able to get fixed and adjusted. That's pretty cool. But that doesn't make it non-miraculous. It just means that God, in his wonderful creation, has given us the privilege of exploring it and discovering it. But that doesn't negate in any way our need to pray for those who are sick and believe the impossible, that God will heal. Amen? It also heals our relationships. Let me take you here quickly. Ephesians 2, it says this. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups. He's talking about hostile groups, Jews and Gentiles. You can fill in whatever hostile groups you want to fill in to the blanks there. Any groups that are hostile to one another. If it's a husband and a wife, if it's a brother and a sister, if it's an Arab and a Jew, if it's a Chinese and an American, whatever... Hostile groups, you understand, exist. It says that Jesus is our peace because he's made the two hostile groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2.15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body his body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Our time is done, so I won't expand this. We've talked about this before. But understand this, that the cross is the place. The cross is the place where people with hostility find peace. Listen, this is true in any broken relationship you have. Whether it's a marriage that's struggling, hostility, that's just having a hard time finding a way to really work together. I get it. We all get it. Two very radically different people just commit to live their life in real close proximity. It can be very hard at times, especially if those people are sinners. When sinners say, I do, right? Sinners tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but the cross is the solution. You bring your own heart, you bring your marriage to the cross and find layers of death to self. You'll find we're going to live for Jesus together. It'll reconcile any hostility. 
any broken relationship, broken business deal, you bring it to the cross. The Lord will heal it. Racial differences, hostilities in the media, there's no solution to racial problems in the world because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that power will reconcile and restore broken relationships if we come to the cross. Amen? Stand with me. We're going to close here. I think it would be nice, Court, if we could end with a song. We'll just play through for a minute or two on a song. I want to give you a chance to digest these things. I want to give you a chance to respond to these things. I'll go through my list again. The cross is a wonder because it is there we find forgiveness for sin, past, present, and future. If you're in sin today, while we sing this last song, bring your heart to the cross. Ask the Lord to forgive you, and he will make you perfect. Secondly, is because this cross leads us away from sin. If you're battling between your desires and your decision to follow Jesus, come to the cross today again. And just say, Lord, I lay it all down before you. Not my will, but yours be done. And die to certain desires. Because your desires don't define you, the cross does. And thirdly, the cross is a wonder because it's a place of healing for body, for your body, and for relationships. If there is a sickness in your body or in a friend's body, I invite you to bring it to the cross today. You can do it on your own where you're sitting. You can come to the front and ask someone to pray with you. Maybe there's someone next to you that knows about this thing. Grab their hand and together pray and bring it to the cross. And say, Lord, by the wounding of your body, let the healing of mine or let the healing of my dear friend or relative come to power. Thank you, Lord, for your word today to us. It's life. It's corrective. It's encouraging. It's powerful. Lord, that we might not just be hearers, but doers. Lord, bring us to the cross. In Jesus' name.